Section 1 of The San Francisco Earthquake and Fire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. The San Francisco Earthquake and Fire, as reported in the newspapers of that city. Items from the Call Chronicle Examiner of Thursday, April 19, 1906. Earthquake and Fire. San Francisco in Ruins. Death and destruction have been the fate of San Francisco. Shaken by a tembler at 5.13 o'clock yesterday morning, the shock lasting 48 seconds, and scourged by flames that raged diametrically in all directions, the city is a mass of smoldering ruins. At six o'clock last evening, the flames, seemingly playing with increased vigor, threatened to destroy such sections as their fury had spared during the earlier portion of the day. Building their path in a triangular circuit, from the start in the early morning, they jockeyed as the day waned, left the business section, which they had entirely devastated, and skipped in a dozen directions to the residence portions. As night fell, they had made their way over into the North Beach section, and springing anew to the south, they reached out along the shipping section, down the bay shore, over the hills, and across toward Third and Townsend streets. Warehouses, wholesale houses, and manufacturing concerns fell in their path. This completed the destruction of the entire district known as South of Market Street. How far they are reaching to the south, across the channel, cannot be told, as this part of the city is shut off from San Francisco papers. After darkness, thousands of the homeless were making their way, with their blankets and scant provisions, to Golden Gate Park and the beach, to find shelter, those in the homes on the hills just north of the hayes valley wrecked section piled their belongings in the streets and express wagons and automobiles were hauling the things away to the sparsely settled regions everybody in san francisco is prepared to leave the city for the belief is firm that san francisco will be totally destroyed downtown everything is ruin not a business house stands theaters are crumbled into heaps. Factories and commission houses lie smoldering on their former sites. All of the newspaper plants have been rendered useless. The call and the examiner buildings, excluding the call's editorial rooms on Stevenson Street, being entirely destroyed. It is estimated that the loss in San Francisco will reach from $150 million to $200 million dollars, these figures are in the rough, and nothing can be told until partial accounting is taken. On every side there was death and suffering yesterday. Hundreds were injured, either burned, crushed, or struck by falling pieces from the buildings, and one of ten died while on the operating table at Mechanics Pavilion, improvised as a hospital for the comfort and care of three hundred of the injured. The number of dead is not known but it is estimated that at least five hundred met their death in the horror. At nine o'clock, under a special message from President Roosevelt, the city was placed under martial law. 
hundreds of troops patrolled the streets and drove the crowds back, while hundreds more were set at work assisting the fire and police departments. The strictest orders were issued, and in true military spirit the soldiers obeyed. During the afternoon, three thieves met their death by rifle bullets while at work in the ruins. The curious were driven back at the breasts of the horses that the cavalrymen rode, and all the crowds were forced from the level district to the hilly section beyond to the north. The water supply was entirely cut off, and maybe it was just as well, for the lines of fire department would have been absolutely useless at any stage. Assistant Chief Doherty supervised the work of his men, and early in the morning it was seen that the only possible chance to save the city lay in effort to check the flames by the use of dynamite. During the day a blast could be heard in any direction at intervals of only a few minutes, and buildings not destroyed by fire were blown to atoms, but through the gaps made the flames jumped, and although the failures of the heroic efforts of the police, firemen, and soldiers were at times sickening, the work was continued with a desperation that will live as one of the features of the terrible disaster. Men worked like fiends to combat the laughing, roaring, onrushing fire demon. No hope left for safety of any buildings. San Francisco seems doomed to entire destruction. With a lapse in the raging of the flames just before dark, the hope was raised that with the use of tons of dynamite the course of the fire might be checked and confined to the triangular sections it had cut out for its path. But on the Barbary coast the fire broke out anew, and as night closed in the flames were eating their way into parts untouched in their ravages during the day. To the south and the north they spread, down to the docks and out into the resident section in and to the north of Hayes Valley. By six o'clock practically all of St. Ignatius's great buildings were no more. They had been leveled to the fiery heap that marked what was once the metropolis of the West. The first of the big structures to go to ruin was the Call Building, the famous skyscraper. At eleven o'clock the big eighteen-story building was a furnace. Flames leaped from every window and shot skyward from the circular windows in the dome. In less than two hours nothing remained but the tall skeleton. By five o'clock the Palace Hotel was in ruins. The old hostelry, famous the world over, withstood the siege until the last, and although dynamite was used in frequent blasts to drive the fire away from the swept section toward Mission Street, they made their way to the point of the hotel until the old place began to crumble away in the blaze. The city hall is a complete wreck. The entire part of the building from Larkin Street down City Hall Avenue to Leavenworth, down from the top of the dome to the steps, is ruined. The colossal pillars supporting the arches at the entrance fell into the avenue far out across the car tracks, and the thousands of tons of bricks and debris that followed them piled into a mountainous heap. The west wing sagged and crumbled, caving into a shapeless mass. At the last every vestige of stone was swept away by the shock, and the building laid bare nearly to its McAllister Street side. 
Only a shell remained to the north, and the huge steel frame stood gaping until the fire that swept from the Hayes Valley set the debris ablaze and hid the structure in a cloud of smoke. Every document of the city government is destroyed. Nothing remains but a ghastly part of the once beautiful structure. It will be necessary to entirely rebuild the hall. Mechanics' pavilion, covering an entire block, went before the flames in a quarter of an hour, the big wooden structure burning like tinder, and in less time than it takes to write it was flat upon the ground. The flames had come from the west, this time fanned by a lively wind. Down from Hayes Valley they swooped, destroying residences in entire rows, sending to cinders the business houses, and leaping the gaps caused by the dynamiting of homes. They had stolen their way out from the mission while a dense crowd blocked that street. So quickly did they make their way to the north of Market that their approach was not noticed. When it was realized that the danger had come to this particular residence section, the police and the cavalry drove the crowd back in haste to the north and out of harm's way. Down Hayes Street, playing the cross streets, coming on like a demon, the fire swept over St. Ignatius Church, leveled barns and houses, and, as if accomplishing a purpose long desired, blazed down to the front of the mechanics' pavilion. Only shortly before the patients in this crude hospital had been removed to other hospitals in outlying districts. From the big shed the flames spread to the north, east, south, and west, everywhere, confusion reigned. Women fainted, and men fought their way into the adjoining apartment houses to rescue something from destruction, anything, if only enough to cover their wives and their babies when the cold of the night came on. There was a scene that made big, brave men cry. There were the weeping tots in their mother's arms, wailing with fear of the awful calamity. Salesmen and soldiers fighting to get the women out of harm's way through the crowd— heroic dashes in the ambulances and the patrol wagons after the sick and injured and willing men powerless as the mouse in the clutch of the lion ready to fight the destroyer but driven back step by step while their homes went down before them it was when the terrible shock of the first big rumbler was passing off that san franciscans sent scurrying into the streets in their night clothes turned to the east and south, and first saw the pillars of flame that have bred such wicked destruction. Down in the wholesale district, south of the cable, and along through the section facing the city's front, the flames appeared. Fire shot into the air from every corner. Before the first alarm was sent in, the fire was beyond control. The city was beyond saving, from the time that the first blaze broke toward the heavens. Gradually the flames stole along Mission and Howard Streets, and then rapidly they made their way from building to building until 7th Street was reached. Out into the warehouse district, bounded by Sansome on the west and the bay on the north and east, they went, and such structures as the Wellman Peck Building and the Tillman Bendel Building were made into whitened walls, left tottering in the breeze that was blowing. Everywhere were scenes of horror. People rushed frantically through the streets, looking for missing relatives, and rescue parties were formed to go into the burning blocks to save life. 
here and there the grim-faced men dug out the unfortunates who had gone down into the shapeless piles of debris when the big shock came man fought to save man and many times did the sickened crowds turn away as they saw the rescuers driven back by the flames that reached down through the ruins to claim their victims steadily the fire found its way into the uptown retail districts from the south and east the south side of market was attacked one by one the familiar buildings went down levi strauss and company zellerbach and company holbrook maryland stetson hicks judd company d n and e walters w w montague the donahue estate building Uhl brothers the bancroft building all the places that have made the san francisco business district every one of them went they can't be enumerated the work of the fire demon was too complete to make that necessary from mission to market and east to ninth the many-storied structures were gutted true many of these places had crumbled when the earth shook but evidence of this was removed in the path of the flames from second to third streets market street held its own until late in the afternoon the call building was ablaze but the examiner building the palace hotel the grand and other structures toward second street stood two attempts were made to dynamite the new monadnock building when it was seen that the hearst structure was doomed and slowly came the blaze from mission street just below third sweeping everything before it and igniting the examiner annex then the main building took fire and by two o'clock only the third street wall was standing later the palace took fire in the rear and the flames made quick progress to market street by five o'clock colonel kirkpatrick's famous hotel was no more the grand went at the same time and in a few minutes the flames had market street again at sansome they combined with the fire on the north side of the street but the changeable winds kept the fire back from the buildings extending from this point to Kearney Street. At seven o'clock, the entire region lying just back of the Hall of Justice was on fire. The dynamite did no good. From the Fairmount Hotel now could be seen the gigantic semicircle of flame, extending from the Mission at about 13th Street down through the entire southern end of the city proper, along the channel, over the hill, along the waterfront, through the wholesale district, and over onto Barbary Coast. At nine o'clock, the Crocker Woolworth Bank building was on fire at the Gore. Across from it is the railroad building and Masonic Temple. Only a row of small buildings separate it from the Chronicle building. Then the firefighters prepared for the thing they hoped would not happen. It was certain that the fire would spread northward, and join the inferno near the Hall of Justice. Dynamite was placed in the Hall of Justice, to be sent into the air at the signal. The flames on Lower Kearney Street had gained the office buildings on the west side of the street. This means the doom of Chinatown. Thousands on thousands of celestials scurried over Knob Hill to safety blow buildings up to check flames the dynamiting of buildings in the track of the fire to stay the progress of the flames 
was in charge of john burningham jr superintendent of the california powder works several experienced men from the powder works assisted by policemen and members of the fire department did the hazardous work of blowing up the buildings they were raised in sets of threes but the open spaces where the shattered buildings fell were quickly turned into holocausts of flame the work was most effective in the business blocks east of kearney street whole city is ablaze at ten o'clock last night the occidental hotel was destroyed by the flames which swept unchecked across montgomery street and attacked the block bounded by montgomery butter bush and kearney the new merchants exchange building was a mass of flames from basement to tower the union trust building and crocker woolworth bank were both ablaze and the chronicle building and other buildings in that block were threatened by the flames shortly after ten o'clock the fire had eaten its way southward from portsmouth square to kearney and california streets the entire section fronting the west side of kearney street seemed doomed all the building adjoining the hall of justice were ablaze and the firemen were striving to save the structure by using dynamite it is almost a certainty that every building contained in the section bounded by clay kearney market and east streets will be consumed the flames had eaten their way westward in the residence section as far as gough street there by dynamiting blocks after blocks the firemen succeeded in checking the devouring element church of st ignatius is destroyed the magnificent church and college of st ignatius on the northwest corner of van ness avenue and hayes street represents in its destruction a material loss of over one million dollars the actual cost of the great building was over nine hundred thousand dollars but during the years which have elapsed since its erection the church has been enriched by paintings and frescoes which were priceless some of them were works of art which can never be replaced however willing those interested in the church might be to meet any expense in the effort mayor confers with military and citizens at one o'clock yesterday afternoon fifty representative citizens of san francisco met the mayor the chief of police and the united states military authorities in the police office in the basement of the hall of justice they had been summoned thither by mayor schmitz early in the forenoon the fearful possibilities of the situation having forced themselves upon him immediately after the shock of earthquake in the morning and the news which at once reached him of the completeness of the disaster he lost no time in making out a list of citizens from whom to seek advice and assistance and in summoning them to the conference it was called at the hall of justice as virtually the first news which reached the mayor regarding the extent of the disaster was that of the ruin of city hall he did not realize that even while the conference was going on cornices would be crashing down and windows falling in fragments in the hall of justice also and that before sunset desperate efforts would be made to blow the structure up in the vain endeavor by this means to check the advance of the flames in the northern section of the downtown district all or nearly all of the citizens summoned to the conference responded among these promptly on hand were hartley and herbert law capitalists 
the brothers McGee of Thomas McGee and Sons, real estate men, J. Downey Harvey of the Ocean Shore Railway Company, ex-mayor James D. Phelan, Garrett McInerney, the prominent attorney, ex-judge C. W. Slack, W. H. Leary, manager of the Tivoli Opera House, J. T. Howell of Baldwin and Howell real estate men, former city attorney Franklin K. Lane, also many others. No time was lost at the meeting, and almost the first words spoken by the mayor breathed strongly of the grimness of the disaster and its accompaniments. Let it be given out, said the mayor sternly, that three men have already been shot down without mercy for looting. Let it be also understood that the order has been given to all soldiers and policemen to do likewise without hesitation in the cases of any and all miscreants who may seek to take advantage of the city's awful misfortune. I will ask the chief of police and the representatives of the federal military authorities here present if I do not echo their sentiments in this. The uniformed officials to whom the mayor turned as he spoke signified their acquiescence, and Chief Dinan stated also that he would undertake the distribution throughout the city of printed proclamations making public the order. Then the mayor told those present of what had already been done to lighten the effects of the disaster. For one thing, he had secured 2,400 tents, which were already in process of erection in Jefferson Square, Golden Gate Park, and on the Presidio grounds, for the accommodation of the homeless. Garrett McInerney moved, and the large number of other prominent citizens present unanimously voted, that the mayor be authorized to draw checks for any amount for the relief of the suffering, all of the gentlemen present pledging themselves to make such checks good. Ex-Mayor Phelan was appointed chairman of a relief finance committee, with full authority to select his associates. The mayor announced that orders had already been given, forbidding the burning of either gas or electric currents, even where possible. During the fire, citizens must get along with other light, as no chances could be taken of a renewed outbreak of flames. Police Chief Dinan stated that he had also instructed his men to announce all over the city that no fires were to be lighted in stoves or grates anywhere, lest the chimneys should be defective as a result of the earthquake. Then the statement was made that expressmen were charging $30 a load to haul goods, a rate which was prohibitive to poor people. The announcement provoked great indignation, and an immediate order from Mayor Schmitz, in which Dinan heartily concurred. "'Tell your men,' said the mayor, "'to seize the wagons of all such would-be extortionists, and make use of them for the public good. The question of recompense will be seen to later.' Then a further notice was ordered distributed, as widely as possible throughout the city, instructing all householders to remain at home at night for the protection of their families and property during the continuance of the trouble and excitement. It was at this point that the explosion of a heavy charge of dynamite, used in blowing up a building a block away, brought glass and cornice work in the Hall of Justice crashing down. At once W. H. Leary and J. Downey Harvey urged that the mayor, at least, immediately remove from the building. Your life is too valuable, mayor, said Mr. Harvey, 
at this dreadful juncture for any unnecessary risk to be taken to this all present conceded and a few moments later an adjournment was taken to the centre of portsmouth square across kearney street there in close and dangerous proximity to a great pile of dynamite brought thither to be used for the necessary destruction of buildings the mayor and his officials continued for some time longer to discuss the situation when they finally separated it was with the agreement to meet again this morning at ten o'clock at the fairmont party issues proclamation oakland april eighteenth governor party tonight issued a proclamation declaring tomorrow thursday a legal holiday and that all business be suspended throughout the state this followed a conference held by the governor with mayor mott lieutenant j anderson of the adjutant general's staff and judge henry melvin at the mayor's office governor pardee said he had sent lieutenant anderson to san francisco to investigate conditions the governor came to oakland as quickly as possible in order to be in touch at the nearest point with which he could keep in communication with san francisco buildings are all ruined fire chief nick ball and fire warden macdonald are making a tour of the city of oakland condemning all buildings damaged by the earthquake and left in a menacing condition the tower of the first baptist church has been ordered torn down and other structures throughout the city have also been placed under the official ban effects heroic rescue the disaster brought forth hundreds of heroic deeds about the only persons in the awake when the trembler occurred were the mechanical workers of the newspapers policemen and saloon men among the heroes were emile dengle foreman of the examiner's stereotyping department and several of his men after the first crash and upon their escape from the building they were passing crumbs cafe when they heard cries for help coming from beneath the debris of the place dengle rushed out to a passing hose cart seized an axe and with his great strength began chopping a hole through the structure to release its captive inmates a woman's voice kept saying from beneath the ruins i'm all right hurry and get me out the imprisoned people crumb the proprietor his wife and a waiter were finally released but none too soon for twenty minutes later flames consumed the fallen structure later dengel caught a vandal looting the body of a dead man and upon dengel seizing him the fellow turned and made a vicious cut at dengel with a keyhole saw he was finally overpowered and arrested by the police newspaper row is gutted the examiner and call buildings gave the inferno of flame that swept up from the district south of market street a stubborn fight and prevented the fire from sweeping up kearney street the two buildings burned slowly and held out for hours only to be finally gutted when the winchester hotel crumbled into ruins at eleven o'clock the cafe in the top of the twenty-story call building began spouting fire at that time market street as far as seventh street was burning as a single block from the bohemian cafe as the fire burned out in the top stories of the call 
it descended and turned the building into a fountain of flame at twelve o'clock the annex of the hearst building took fire and a half an hour later the rear wall fell shortly afterwards the fire appeared through the frieze on the seventh floor where the editorial rooms were located but it was three o'clock before the windows of the lower floors began to belch flames the fire burned out gradually and the building remained standing completely gutted at four o'clock the ground floor of the call building began to burn again with redoubled fury but the building stood amid the surrounding ruins a denuded frame of blackened stone end of section one